Jai Guru, everyone. Jai Guru. My name is Priyank. Welcome to Minute 7 of the Awake Minute by Minute podcast. Uh, let me introduce you to my friends. Mike, please say hello and tell us how was your meditation last night? Hello, I'm Mike. My meditation last night was a bit brief. I was uh, working until like 1 a.m. on uni stuff, so um, I did what I could, but it was it was good. I'm glad I did it. Meditation is meditation, yeah. I've, um, so I'm, I'm Chris, just to say hi, uh, introduce myself uh, in that sense. My meditation last night was uh, more based on reading, so it was reading part of the lessons, meditating paragraph by paragraph. It's amazing how the time flies when you do that. My meditation last night was pretty decent. Unfortunately, I tried this new cushion sitting <laughs> on the floor and it wasn't really working. But I was, you know when you're too far in to like change what you're doing? Mm. <laughs> so I, I just carried on and obviously I'm going to change how I do it tonight. Right, minute seven. Let's discuss this. So we have um, a lovely scene of a river, uh, River Ganges, and we have the narrator, which says over that, which says, unknown to society in general, a great spiritual renaissance started in a remote corner of Benares. Right, so we see, we see quite a lovely picture of um or a video of a ho hovering over the river ganges amongst the mountains so who has heard of river ganges and um the significance of it i suppose have you been has anyone been there mike yes i have actually in, in many different places um i think in this in this minute they will probably focus on on varanasi um because that's where lahiri mahasha lived but uh, the river Ganges is quite quite long. It, I think it it uh, starts somewhere in the Himalayas, and uh, I remember it in in Rishikesh, where it's like more like a much smaller river, but really fast, really strong current. Um, yeah, cold water, and there were like people water rafting in it and stuff. So yeah, but it obviously the significance, the spiritual significance is huge. Like this people bathing in it and uh, to purify their lives and their souls and everything. So it is, it is, has massive uh, significance in the Hindu belief system. Chris? Yeah, I have not ever been to India. So it's on my to visit list. Uh, so yeah, I haven't seen the Ganges. What I've heard about it though is uh, that it's, it's, it's one of the, um, the main rivers in in India, isn't it? I think it's over fifteen hundred miles or twenty five hundred kilometers. Um, just when I when I Google this, I've seen a few documentaries on it. Um, like my my understanding of it is, um, it's kind of like the artery or the lifeline of, of India. Um, um, and yeah, just what Mike said about people bathing in it. Um, I've understood over the years there's been a lot of pollution and there's been a lot of like. Um, uh, people trying to say that we should save the rivers in India and and keep them sacred and keep them clean. Uh, and from an energetic standpoint, uh, water is sacred, right? So we're seventy something percent water uh, as human beings. Um, 
So we really need to keep that element within us clean uh, and sacred as the body is the temple. So to me, seeing the river Ganges just represents sort of, you know, the, el the key element to what makes us uh, amazing beings in the first place. So um, I, I tend to think of the Ganges and tend to think of the rivers through Sadhguru's eyes uh, as well. So he's big, a big campaigner for it. And um, yeah, when, when, when I hear about the Ganges, that's basically what fires off in my mind, all these things about, you know, water being sacred and, and the rivers being polluted. Um, India's got a population of 1.3 plus billion people, which is huge. So um, yeah, there's that's, that's some of the thoughts that fire off my head. Yes. Um... In my perspective, I, I I hope to go later this year, but probably won't be able to now because of all this craziness that's happening in um, with the, with the COVID. But yeah, holy water um, in 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 India, holy water is actually a thing, as Mike alluded to. Um, you know, purify yourselves and sins and all that. But I've also you heard it very heavily misused. For example, at university my friend would say, oh, I'm going to go wild. But don't worry, when I go back to India, I'll just take a dip in the Ganges and all my sins will be absolved. And I was like, it's probably not how it works. But uh, so I've seen it misused as well. But I've also seen um, seen it used very well because um, obviously it's, it's usually a pilgrimage and um, pilgrimages have that uh, purifying effect. Um, a bit of history about the river Ganges. It's so named after the divine mother or the mother aspect of god which is ganga we call her ganga mata um so yeah she's a goddess um and that is why that's one of the reasons why we um we consider the, the river sacred i suppose um who's heard of bishma bishma oh, from the bishma from the mahabharat so he is the um the uncle of all the pandavas i suppose and um, he, he fights on the guru's side, but he represents, as in the, he talks about this in God Talks with Arjuna, he, he represents the ego, the ego consciousness as opposed to soul consciousness. And um, yeah, he, he's, yeah, so you can, you can read about it. But Bhishma's mother is Ganga, and his, so his other name is Ganga Putra, or Gangeya. So that's a bit of uh, trivia. Um, yeah, so in terms of holy water, Let's let's talk about holy water for a little while, actually. Like at university, I remember I used to live with a um, Christian and a Muslim uh, for two years. And we what we did was I had some water from the River Ganges. Um, my friend, my Muslim friend had some some water from Mecca. And I think it's called the, it's from the Zamzam well. And my Christian friend had a Lord's water from from France, which is considered holy as well and a place of pilgrimage. And then we mixed it mm -hmm. all together in one like uh, jug and we'd always, so there was this much, you know, small amount of holy water and we'd fill it up, fill the rest of up, fill the rest of it up with regular water and would never let it go. So then by the end of the year, even by the end of the year, you'd, you'd hope that one in a trillion part is still <laughs> holy in the holy trilogy, holy water that we'd uh, created. Uh, who's got some experience of using well, Holy water, Mike. Have you been to Lords? You probably have, haven't you? That's a beautiful story. I like the mixing of the waters. <laughs> yeah, I've been to Lords. I've been to a few different places that had holy waters. Lords is very famous 
because it's just so big. It's just, um, it draws crowds from all over Europe, um, often pilgrims or people who um, are ill and they're looking for a miraculous healing and the atmosphere there it's like very it's just so big it's just you have like those coaches after coaches after coaches of people coming in and they're all queuing up there to get a little bit of the water to get a blessing um and it's also full of merchandise like like um saint bernadette it's like the this patron saint of uh lourdes I mean, don't quote me on that, but she's a big figure in the story of Lourdes. And um, so you, you can buy little St. Bernadette dolls and you can buy holy water in all sizes there <laughs> at ridiculous prices, of course. But is it like, from like a river or a well or how is it? There? Yeah, it, it, there's, a, there's a little spring. So it, it's actually very beautiful. There's like, there's like the, uh, I would say a bit of a cliff and under that cliff, there's a little spring and uh i think the way they did it is like there's like multiple fountains where if you queue up you can go to one of them and fill up your own um bottle and take it with you um i i didn't do that because you really like if you go there in uh in the nice time of year you will be there with thousands of other people every day so (laughs) i went there once at like i think it was midnight or something just when it was closed obviously but just to feel the place and you really feel the contemplation you feel that devoutness of people there so it's not a phony place that you feel a very strong devotion in this place so i can i would recommend visiting it how do, how do you guys store water like how do you, at home because you know we've, we've gone into like this craze of bottled water right plastic oh there's is that copper a copper vessel yeah i've got a copper vessel i've got a copper and a clay vessel Hmm. And, and why why do you store it that way because that's in india interestingly that is how we do it um we well this is in rural india i suppose we store water and it's still and it's like it's retained in this usually a clay pot and i'm, I'm used to having it that way <laughs> hmm. do, do, you, do you know the history of it because it is very it. traditionally um indian and something that i was fascinated with because uh yeah i i've i've heard about um balance through ayurveda and how we should um try through managing uh, our intake of, of food and water and substances uh to to make that pure and you can go go into that probably forever we could talk about that for many hours um uh, about the balance to that and the pranic energy but uh the the water element and the storage of the water uh, is very useful and they have um, method to the madness in the tradition of storing it in copper because the copper itself is antibacterial so not only does it purify uh, purify that element of it uh, the idea is and science hopefully will be revealing this um, bit by bit um, if the molecular structure of the water is let's say re- returned to its more natural state so that when you drink it, so the H2O uh, um, compounds in there, when you drink it, it simulates with your body in a, in a more uh, harmonious way. So Sadhguru talks about this a lot, you know, for anybody want, wanting to look into it and talks about the uh, 
way that water can be a poison or a miracle cure healing uh, element. And yeah, when, when I think about the Ganges and when I think about this, going back to what I mentioned, in fact, storing the water and keeping it pure, it, it's really relevant for us just every single day. How do we use water to flush out toxins and things like this? And um, yeah, it's just a shame that everybody's walking around with these containers of bottled taken from taps that the water has been probably left in some stale container and pushed through pipes left, right and centre and it's all very distressed. And there's lots of disharmony coming into our bodies and beings, you know, affecting us at the spiritual uh, level, not being able to shine, let the spirit shine through. Um, so really, if, if anyone's listening and doesn't know anything about this, it's a fascinating subject um, and, and worthy uh, of a quick uh, bit of research. How do you drink? How do you store and drink your water, Chris? So, uh, yeah, I, I invested in copper uh, copper That's jug. Cool. Um, they're pretty expensive, you know. If you get a decent one, and um, you know you've you've got to leave it overnight, so you would you would fill it up with your from your purest water source that you can find, uh, and leave it overnight. And you could put like a flower a flower in there to to enhance the fragrance uh, or the mm. taste of the water. And, and the essential component is actually to pray to the water, to pray and be grateful and, you know, give it, um, imbue it with good, good uh, positive energy, essentially make it holy. So that's what they, the, the monks do. They would, they would pray to the water and make it holy. So in Catholic tradition, go ahead. What a, lovely, what a lovely segue from where we started into, uh, yes. into where we, we started with holy water, we've got into storage and then making it holy <laughs> ourselves. Fantastic. Yeah. Go on, you, were saying, you were saying, Chris, and how do you wash your copper vessel, by the way? Yeah, that's that's a trick. So the, a couple of days ago, my mum poisoned my cup. My <laughs> <laughs> so what, what she did, God, God bless her, she, she thought um, it was fine to do it. She put a slice of lemon into the copper vessel uh, with the water in there to, as she would do in, uh, she, she would have water in glass jugs and she would put lime into that and that's okay. But, but the lime going into the copper vessel reacts um, with the copper, the lime reacts to the, the acidity reacts to the copper and actually uh, essentially makes it um, poisonous, you know, when, when, when you drink it. Uh, and my fiance, I'm sure she would mind me saying, she uh, quickly had to run to the bathroom to be uh, to to, to, to alleviate herself of the poison that she uh, she drank. She's not happy. Um, I drank some of it, not as much myself, and felt nauseous immediately. So you got to be careful uh, and, and know how to hand, handle it. But yeah, rule number one is uh, don't put lime in it. But to your question, Priyank, you do use lime to clean it. Um, but you clean it, scrub it. You know, empty everything out and then put water back in. So, don't drink it with it. Very good. I have nothing to add to this conversation. I just drink, <laughs> drink water from the tap. From the tap. Maybe I should change really? my ways. Yeah. You're doing fine. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> you have pretty good pure water. Right. Yeah, so the next. Actually. The next scene. Let's go. So, so we, we're floating above the Ganges, and then we we see the, the the city a town i suppose um with guards bathing guards and i think cremation grounds there's there's definitely some some fire there so not only do people bathe um in the ganges because um, this, this must be the city of banaras or varanasi uh, banaras i believe is a later name probably from the british british era but the ancient name is 
Varanasi, uh, or as, as Indian would would say it, and and even older is Kashi, um, which we can talk about in a second. But yeah, so we we get to we get to see that city, um, and that city Banares is not related to Banares of Spain. Is that how you say? It? Is that how you say it, uh, Mike? I think so. Yes. <laughs> Don't quote me. <laughs> uh, your Spanish is pretty good, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> no, no, I'd say it's I'd say pretty average. No. <laughs> Mike's average is like conversational. You could probably read yeah. a book. Sorry, <laughs> really like nothing much. <laughs> um, yeah, so so we have this lovely view of this city, this holy city of Gashi. Who can tell me something about this city? Um, I can start a little bit. I um, have never been there, unfortunately. But um, like you said, the, the names, like Guruji mentions it when he, when he goes to, he, he calls it Benares in the autobiography, but then immediately in the footnote, they say <laughs> that uh, the name was given by the British and its name is now resort to Varanasi. And Guru, Guru mentions it as one of the ancient cities of India. Um, and its ancient name was Kashi. And um, there is, um, I think the founding story was that uh, Shiva, it was founded by Shiva. And even in the Mahabharata, uh, Kashi is mentioned once or twice where the Pandavas go, they look for Shiva after the, after the war of Kurukshetra, looking for Shiva and they go to, to Kashi actually. So it has been around for a long time city and obviously like you said it is famous for being a place of cremation um cremation is like the, the standard um way to um uh when somebody dies you cremate someone in in india and and the the pictures that i that pop to my mind when i think of varanasi cremation is uh, they put the body on a boat a lot along with some candles and they do the whole ritual and then they burn they burn the body and let it while it's burning go out on the water um correct me if i'm wrong but that's kind of how i imagine it i don't know where all those bodies go later on or <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure there is a perfect system that figures it all out but that's the pictures that pop to my mind yes um gashi interesting parallel you drew all history about shiva it has some pretty ancient uh temples uh when i say temples i don't mean the the building itself, because uh, that's been changed, destroyed, invasions, it's all that, all that kind of stuff. But deities um, and lingas or energy forms of places of, you know, the inner sanctum of places that were retained. Um, there, there are many that are, they, they can't even put an age to them. Um, that's, that's, um, that's pretty uh, impressive. So that, that's one of the things that we, if, if we, if you ever do go there, you have to look up some of the um, historical temple sites because they're uh, ancient. It's obviously a very, very unique place. Um, Chris, anything? Yeah, there's 23,000 plus temples. Oh, wow. Um, so there's quite a few temples, uh, to, to, to say the least. And I think, you know, I did see a document, again, a documentary on this years ago. And it, uh, it was actually on YouTube, like an amateur documentary. And there was a chap going up to the um, to the images on some of the temples, and he was showing how um, there there was all sorts of interesting um, 
technology being being shown there. And uh, I guess the conspiracy was, well, look how advanced everybody was back X number of thousand years ago. And so how, how there must, might have been a devolution of, um, of uh, humanity since then, uh, maybe you know, from 12,000 years ago or something more. But I just thought on a side note, that was pretty interesting for me. Uh, and maybe that has something to do with the yogas that we talked about uh, in pr previous uh, minutes. But um, yeah, I, I think you guys covered it pretty well. Uh, it's, it's one of the, sorry. Did that that history history show? Did it cover the Vimanas by any chance? I think it might have done. Yeah. So Vimanas are described in quite a lot, lot of detail. Um, it is flying how objects, well, how how the gods would fly from from exactly. one planet to the other, etc. Or in in this own in this planet, and it's described and it's remarkably similar to how a modern day plane or jet engine with wings etc are designed so that's uh, yeah well, that's quite shocking we're talking about um, text and chants that are you know many thousands of years old so yeah it's mm -hmm. quite an intriguing prospect yeah i you know i looked at it it's the modern day kind of ufo stuff <laughs> you know to some extent so it's muddy muddy waters to a degree but um i looked at it and thought well that's pretty clearly something of, of the sorts of what we mentioned like a flying object um so either it is what it is or somebody's somehow managed to in, you know engrave the shape into the temples and they, they pass it off as a ritual so yeah there's i'm sure there's a lot of mysteries for us to figure out about about this place and Benares is um Aranyasi is uh, is one of those kind of handprints of history yet uh, to reveal its mysteries. Uh, but it's one of one of seven holy cities in India. I'm not going to even try to pronounce the names of all of them, Priyak. Uh, I don't know if anybody, either of you guys know it, but um, it's a special place. Yes. So let's, uh, let's look at the rest of the scene. So now we have various shots. Um, so we have a couple of boys looking at the camera young boys and they're like pretending to shoot the camera and then a cow just inconspicuously walks past the camera and chases the boys down the street <laughs> no one cares as as it is a narrow alleyway i suppose it's quite a nice scene um and then there's a good maybe what five to ten seconds on someone pouring a cup of indian tea um indian tea is like a it's, it's big uh, uh steel or stainless steel kettle and then there's they usually have glass cups that, that we have tea in there so mike you're a big fan of tea aren't you indian tea i am yeah i mean i feel like those those scenes they were again suppo supposed to move the the viewer from this mountainous um river kind of shot you know you are still in Babaji's cave and now we're moving into a city and so they show the typical scenes of an Indian city maybe a bit cliche but uh, also like a cow in a street in India is not something uh, unusual and uh, yeah the, I feel like the fact that in in India on every corner you have someone um, selling you chai this is just quality of life I really like chai <laughs> It's like when you're in France, you can always get a good croissant or something, or in Italy, you always get a good coffee. And in India, you always get a good chai. I mean, at the right times, I guess, but <laughs> I, I, I like that. That makes me want to go to India, actually, when I see stuff like that. 
if you ever meet Mike or go to his place, he will have a whole host and range of herbal teas that he will insist that you have. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> are they teas yeah. or are they herbal, herbal leaf? Chamomile and you know, all that great stuff. <laughs> Mike can tell you about his favorite. You like the strawberry one, don't you, Mike? The strawberry. I have it all, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my my mom actually loves her tea so much that my fiance and I actually bought her a a sorted, um, I would say, box. And it has like like a cabinet, basically. It's huge. And so there's about 20 different little spots that you put all your tea bags in there. So, yeah. He's a big part of everybody's life over here in the UK. Um, probably thanks to India, right? Because we, we, we got the herbal leaves and everything from India. Yes, that's a whole different story. But yeah. <laughs> Can we go down that segue or is that? <laughs> no, no. Probably very little spiritual stuff in there. The one, the one thing that I would actually say is the go back, going back to the pranic uh Intakes substance through the study of Ayurveda is who can tell me a little bit about actually uh, the, the pranic substances positive, negative, neutral. Do we know much about that as a, as a team? No, a little bit. Go on, Pranic. What? Even less. And, and what, where, does, where does tea fall into the category? Uh, tea, because of the caffeine, would be thumbsick which is the negative energy or the, the not negative it takes energy from your system or being so it's um negative pranic we say um and that means that you want to avoid such uh, substances as tea and there's others such as onion garlic and um you know that kind alcohol. of stuff. alcohol yeah yeah yeah, yeah so I, I love this like it's the biggest thing in some ways associated with India and the UK in a sense, like what we imported and, and taken from India or like the spirituality sense. Yes, tea is, is massive um, and it's like and kind of goes against the other great thing that we take from India, which is spiritual aspect, <laughs> spiritual development and things like that. I just I just thought the contrast was quite funny. Let's call it a guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. Yeah. Well, Yogananda loved, um, well, I wouldn't say loved, but he, he had a habit forming when he was drinking coffee. And then he realized one day, huh, I actually am getting kind of hooked. I, don't, I can't remember the exact words. I think Priyanka might be able to find it in the book. Um, but he, he found himself drinking coffee more than what he wanted and then uh, was able to kick the habit before it truly got old and I remember seeing a picture of him holding a cup of coffee and smiling and kind of saying cheers you know into the into the uh, camera frame and I thought that was a great picture and, and a very relatable story to my to my mind that uh, even somebody like Yogananda can have one or two coffees too many and realize like oh this probably isn't this probably isn't what I want to be doing but you know it's nice it's nice to know you could probably have probably have a few without hurting yourself too much. <laughs> no, I was um, telling someone off at the centre for having coffee because of this conversation that we were just having, and they were, they were, they were like, "No, coffee is my one, <laughs> my one thing that I allow myself to have and do." Yeah. And that person who said that will know who they are. 
<laughs> so he's come to the center with a massive glass of like Starbucks. So like this doesn't really like fit in with what we're trying to do. <laughs> battling uphill, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So the next scene is we see the footsteps of the beloved brother Vishwananda, and he is in his ochre robes, and he is wearing a lungi, and not trousers, which we usually see our lovely monastics wear. So, Brother Vishwananda, let me just tell you something a bit about him, and then perhaps you can tell me about your experiences with him. He is a monk of the Self-Realization Fellowship Order for more than 40 years. Brother Vishwananda began his monastic life at the Yogoda Satsang Society of India, ashram in Ranchi, the site of Yogananda's original school in India, where he served for 18 years before returning to the United States. He now sits on the board of directors for Self-Realization Fellowship, you go the Satsang Society. So 40 years. So, Mike, what's your experience of Brother Vishwananda? Um, talk to him once or twice at open houses at convocation. Um, and he's, um, and obviously you hear his talks. He's very much in public. He's always one of the stars. When he goes somewhere, he draws crowds. So, because he's a he's a very strong a spiritual presence, and he's very calm always. He's like almost, almost like calm in a, I don't know how to say it in a in a strong way. You know, you know when you talk to him, you feel his calmness. Actively calm and calmly Act active. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he's and the Prince of Peace sitting on the throne of He boys. is exactly that. He's exactly the Prince of Peace. Wow, and we are it, just saying stuff that's these are not scripted, guys. This is good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's, uh, this is material and, coming from SRF itself. Yeah. And I feel like it's a little bit in line with um, um, how should I say this? Like there is a difference how monks of YSS and monks of SRF interact with devotees. I feel like um, there is a in SRF, they have more of a conversational tone with you and pick you up where you are, I guess, when you live in the West. Whereas in India, I feel like they give it to you more straight and more um, calmly. And there's less of a, um, I'm, I feel like less sugarcoating going on. Um, and I feel like um, Brother Vishwananda is definitely more of that school. And yeah, I he's a, basically a massive presence when he's there and it's it's always very um like when you listen to his talks it's very devotional very humble even though he's such a massive personality so it's like most people will have seen him many times and i know what i'm talking about chris have you dealt have you heard or you know anything of uh, anything you'd like to share about uh, brother vishwananda you know, I, I'm yet to meet, I'm yet to see um, too, too much uh, of uh, Brother Vishwananda, uh, but uh, I'm quickly, you know, looking up, looking uh, for him online and uh, it looks looks great. He's got a lot of talks there that yeah. I'll delve into and um, a lot of material. So. Yeah, he's, he's actually just been elected since January 2021. He's now the vice president of the Self-Realization Fellowship. Mm fellowship i think he took over from brother jalananda perhaps uh, one one more humble brag i can throw in there it's like <laughs> when when my 
when my dad was in in India in the 70s, he um, he was at a YSS ashram for a few months, mm. and he um, brother Vishwananda, I think he was joining the ashram at around that time, and they were there at the same time, and he got to know him back then. Cool. Which which is pretty cool, yeah. So when they when they met met later on, he my dad had this whole story how he met him. Did did he did Brother Vishwananda say I foresee that you're gonna have a son who's <laughs> going to be a great devotee of Yogananda? <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> he will go to the West. Yeah. <laughs> Mike is obsessed obsessed with settling in the US, so that's definitely gonna happen. <laughs> For sure, one day. Right. Um, then we see um, uh, a scene of a monkey just strolling casually across a balcony. Uh, monkeys are obviously a, a big feature of India, <laughs> no matter which part of India you're <laughs> from. Mike, you've got some monkey stories, I'm sure, from when you were there. Yeah, my, my favorite story is um, we went to uh, Dwarhad Ashram which is um, close to Babaji's cave. So, so you go there like YSS or SRF devotees, they go there usually to see Babaji's cave because it's not too far from there. And it's an ashram in the hills that's like not really a big city nearby. Um, they, they're really good, like the, the lay disciples there, they're really uh, devoted and they're great people, all of them, and, and they cook really well. They just ask you to bring, like if you want any kind of special vegetables or something to be prepared for you, you bring them yourself. So you, I'm not sure if it's still like that, but it was like that like 10, 15 years ago when I went. And they, so we went to a market and we bought like all the good stuff we like. We were like okras and everything. And, and, and we brought them like two, three shopping bags of um, vegetables and, and uh, groceries. And also they said, if you want dessert, you can bring some sweet fruits or bananas or something. So that's what we did. We bought like this massive bunch of bananas was in its own bag. And, and so we arrive in, um, in this like four by four and we open like the, the big hatch in the back and, and unload. Um, so they greet us and there's like one person helping us getting all the groceries in. And the first thing that happens is there's like the car parks under a tree next to the next to the entrance gate and a monkey jumps down as the hatch opens the monkey jumps down into the trunk of the car grabs the bananas and runs off <laughs> and so no dessert basically but we still had a great time there but <laughs> the monkeys for you chris i know you haven't been to india but you must have a monkey story from another country brazil yeah. surely yeah, yeah, yeah. So my fiance being Brazilian has a, uh, a plot of land in the countryside of, in Brazil. So she's got with her dad like a, a yoga retreat there and uh, an eco village. And, and on both sides, you can hear monkeys, you know, coming in at certain times of the week. You know, they kind of come back and raid, try to raid the fridge, fridges and try to raid the kitchens and, and then leave. But so, some of them are so tiny, you know, the size of your hand. And uh, they actually come and basically ask for food in a very, oh. very polite way. So I've got, I've got videos of maybe I'll, I'll find them and, and share them um, of me coming up and breaking a bit of banana off and holding it out to them. And they come over and they take it with two little hands, and just take it from you in a, in a very gratifying way. 
um, for for both parties, you know. Uh, so so yeah, I, I've got good experiences with them, um, and uh, yeah, consensual uh, <laughs> experiences of sharing food with. Them. So um, yeah, it's 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 lovely. It does make me think when it, when I see little monkeys running around the cities, like our impact as humans, you know, in in nature in their habitat and in the, in the monkeys' habitats. Now we're destroying their land essentially, and and um, they're really integrating themselves into, you know, human society rather than the other way around, isn't it? So they're coming into urban areas because we've, you know, destroyed what was their own, and uh, they're they're adapting. So every every time I hear stories like, oh, they stole food, I'm like, yeah, yeah, they stole food, so they should, you know, that we've we've been stealing our homes for years, so yeah. I'll share a small one. So I was in um, Nepal a few years ago and uh, in, in the capital, Kathmandu. And uh, there's a very, very, probably one of the most famous Shiva temples called Pashupatinath um, there. And so we were visiting there and it's just full of monkeys, like literally <laughs> hundreds, if not thousands of monkeys on the ground. And like, one of the monkeys, obviously they're very cute, as you know, monkeys, some people are scared of them, but I find them very cute. So one monkey, one pretty sm uh, small child one, um, infant, was looking away and I was walking past and because they see humans, you know, so often they're not scared, they just carry on doing whatever they're doing. And anyway, so I was walking past and I like very casually, like very silently just stroked its back. <laughs> And it got so angry. It turned around and showed me its teeth and started hissing. And stuff. <laughs> we were like, okay, we're not going to do that again. And then as if to get us back, when we went back to our hotel, uh, I believe the hotel sign said, leave all windows closed. We did not know why, but we did when we got back to the room. So when we got back to the room, there was about three huge monkeys in, in the room and they were attacking our like <laughs> mini they were attacking our mini fridge and like peas and coffees and the crisps and stuff and so they were, and interestingly like we would open our crisps like you know from the top with our hands even though they've got hands they use their teeth and just take it mm. all out and make a big mess and then anyway so like we got in the room and they, they just weren't scared so I, I was like okay what, what do we do so I started throwing stuff at them and they just <laughs> They didn't care. They just took the rest of what they had wanted in their hands and left the room just casually. <laughs> Absolutely crushed. You, you should. Um, uh, what, uh, what was what was the story in the autobiography? Uh, was it um, Sri Yukteswar had a snake come up to him, and was it Yogananda was standing there? I can't remember exactly the story, but uh, essentially the, the snake was. Uh, imbued with peace and kind of mesmerized and and it, it kind of went off all happy you know you need you need to learn that trick <laughs> for, for the and then he clap his hands and then it just whimpered away the snake yeah just it just kind of went beneath his uh, feet i think and slid yeah, it off yeah that's right, yeah so communication is key <laughs> So talking of Shiva temples, um, we talked about Pashupatinath, obviously that's one, and uh, Kedarnath is another one, Badrinath is another one. So there's there's a very, very famous um, in Shiva temples across the Himalayan plains. And the the thing about Shiva temples, the main sanctum is not Shiva, or Nataraj, which is a dancing form of Shiva, it is usually a linga. So which is a lovely segue into the next scene, which is we see some ancient temples 
uh, one ancient temple. There's, I think there's uh, frescoes on the wall of Hanuman and other other gods. But in, in the middle, in the sanctum, there's a priest conducting an arati ceremony with, you know, with a linga in the middle. Um, so to the linga. And it's got flowers adorning the linga, etc. So we know that there's, um, well, Mike, have you been to Ranchi? There's a, there's a linga in... Okay, there is a linga in Ranchi in one of the um, hallways and rooms. Um, obviously, it's I, I don't know if it's worshipped to the extent uh, a temple would. But um, if, has anyone been to a temple with a linga in it? No, no. I, I really want to though. Not it's, knowingly. Not, not knowingly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, they're, they're not usually big. They're usually quite small. Um, recently went to Greece and um, yeah there's, there's according to legend there's a couple of very famous lingas there and apparently they're still quite energetic so let, let's talk about lingas I suppose before we quickly move on so there is basically it's an ellipsoid form that uh, comes almost out of the ground and there's there's lots of legend about some lingas that are formed um, by themselves, like miraculously, that have come up through through the ground, through the stone, and then they, when when that happens, then obviously that's a they they say well in India that's believed that a temple, God has decided a temple to be there and it becomes a very sacred space. But lingas generally are created and they're consecrated by swamis or yogis that are you know have the um, capability to consecrate them, and the idea is that you sit next to the linga um, and you yourself uh, are transformed I suppose um, while sitting in that space um, and some some lingas are associated with some chakras so we, we have seven chakras in the in the body and outside the body and uh, some lingas that are associated with all the chakras and um, yeah no, that's um, that's a little bit about lingas, I suppose. Any anyone got anything they'd like to add about that? Um, for, for for me, uh, the, the only thing I know really, I was introduced to lingas um, in depth through again Sadguru. I think I've mentioned his, his name several times, but uh, he created a linga. And, um, Dhyana Linga, yes, I've been there. Dhyana Linga. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, I'm sure, plenty about this, Priyank. Um, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah so Dhyan obviously means uh, meditation or concentration, Dhyan. We, it's, a, it's a word that's used in um, everyday language in North India, Dhyan. Dhyan, Dhyan Rako, pay attention, like your teacher might tell you off for, for not paying attention because you're mm. not... Uh, having dhyan um so yeah dhyana linga is um is one of the is is according to Sadhguru, he's he's consecrated su consecrated it such that it is a representative of all the chakras um so all seven so mm -hmm. which is a very rare which is a very rare um thing and um yeah we sit there it's a domed dome structure <clears throat> very little um goes on in there other than meditation so yeah it's it's a, it's a fantastic place um, i'd highly mm -hmm. recommend mm -hmm. you go there and meditate there and any other temple that's um, that's famous um because of its space um, and in, in north india as we say Kedarnath and bashupatimanath in nepal are extremely famous and badrinath as well mm -hmm. 
Yeah, uh, and on, on, on that note, not that it, that it's taken a step away from the film itself, but uh, it was fascinating to me hearing about the Linga and the significance of it and what it can be essentially a real life guru, maybe being in the presence mm. of a fully fledged um, uh, enlightened being of sorts, but uh, supposedly for Sajpur, it took him many lifetimes to be able to achieve building or making that. Um, so many times he's tried and the, the material or stones cracked and it hasn't quite formed. And he, he said it took him many lifetimes to achieve that. So that, that's really cool, uh, really cool idea. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I've never actually seen one in person. I would love to see one. I've never been around one as far as I know. But um, there's there's natural formations, just to your point, Priyank. Do you mean actual lingas in their form, like a small stone object? Because I've heard of the, is it the devil's um, like the throat chakra in Portugal? I, can, I can't recall what it's, the name of it, if you know what I'm talking about. I have not, I've not heard of that, no. Um, it's, it's a rock formation, and again, that's meant to be almost like the throat chakra of the earth. And I just wonder, is that something along the lines of what you mean by natural formations? Of no, you'll, um, you'll see them. So basically, you'll, you'll see a cave um, in India and then you'll see they'll see locals. Locals will be gathering near the cave. And, and then you'll see that when you go inside, there'll be a little sanctum, a makeshift sanctum. And they'll be uh, just literally coming out of the ground in an ellipsoid form or a linga. And... Um, it's, yeah, it, it looks like how the hell did that form? How did it get there? It definitely wasn't carved. It's a bit of a yeah, it's a bit insane really to see it. Um, I've seen quite a few actually um, across um, across India and in Nepal actually. And it's meant to be the primal object, the formless. Yeah, so we know we know uh, galaxies and other cosmonauts they they we we say ellipse ellipses and ellipsoids they're the that's the um, form that the universe universe takes naturally and that's how it started and obviously um, orbits are all elliptical aren't they they're not uh, circular so anything that goes into space it um, we launch it and immediately it goes into an elliptical orbit so yeah ellipse and ellipsoids are very um fundamental to science and physics and apparently spirituality as well. Mm -hmm. When was the first time you guys heard about the Linga form and this information? Well, for, I'm obviously biased because uh, my, my background is, so it's, it's uh, my temple at home, for example, would have a, a small Linga deity. <clears throat> so Mike, maybe you can answer that. <laughs> um, to be honest, I've, I've heard about it, but I, like only really understood what it was today when I researched it. <laughs> yeah, I would love to learn this stuff at school. I think going back to a conversation we had before, <laughs> it's like what's in this, like just as a small snapshot in this film is a whole subject and you could spend a lifetime, I'm sure, researching it and, and studying it many lifetimes, I'm sure. Uh, and it's just in one little small snapshot of this film and easily you would go past it, easily. You, you would not see it and not recognize what it is. So um, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty awesome to, to have it included. I wonder if the uh, directors, the producers knew exactly what they were including. I oh, definitely did. <clears throat> yeah. Definitely did. 
Um, I have to correct myself, actually, what I just said. Badrinath is not uh, one of a Shiva temple. It's uh, Lord associated with Lord Vishnu. But Kedarnath and uh, Pashupatinath is, and there's others, obviously, across the Himalayan plains that are. Um, let's go to the next thing. Um, Mike, did you want to talk about the Samadhi Mandir at all? You uh, had a, added a picture to our board. Yes. Um, well, the... It's it's basically the address. Like in the next scene, we can we can like talk about the next scene. Right? Oh yeah, let me let me do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so yeah. So the next scene, uh, we the narrator says, as the fragrance of flowers cannot be suppressed, so devotees from every part of India began to seek the divine nectar of this liberated master. Oh, you were talking about Lahiri Mahasaya. Mm -hmm. Day after day, the guru initiated one or two devotees into Kriya Yoga the science of meditation. So, Lahiri Mahashai, his name is, his name was Sham Charan Lahiri. And uh, we say Mahashaya. Mahashaya means, it means large-minded or magnanimous or you know, something grand. So we, we're calling him by his last name, Lahiri, or his surname, and Mahashaya, which is uh, what I've just described. And yeah, so Mike, uh, describe his, their door. So Brahmachari um, Shekhar and Brother Vishwananda, they literally, they come and they bow down to the door. And that's presumably the home of Lahiri Mahashaya, is it? Yes, I, that's, that's, where, that's where he lived. Um, it's like in in Varanasi, I think. Like I I looked on Google Maps, I looked for the address. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny that the um, in I wonder if in India they have like different ways of of numbering houses. It was like D thirty one slash fifty eight. I'm not exactly sure what this means. Mm -hmm. um, Madan Pura um, and then Bangali Tola. Does, is Tola like something? Is that like a district or a street, maybe something like I that? Don't know. I don't know. Yeah, in Varanasi. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you see, and then you see this picture of the door in in the evening when they go there. I think they hold a lantern or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you see, you see the address on the door, and then you see B. Lahiri. Um, and that is that is pretty pretty interesting and like and like a place of pilgrimage for a lot of um, YSS and SRF devotees and in the in that same I'm not sure if it's the same building or the adjacent building the Samadhi Mandir is definitely it's it, it's like the same kind of location definitely mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you use that same entrance to go through <clears throat> um, and uh, there's the Mandir of um, uh, Lahiri Mahasha is Mahasamadhi it is, it is pretty great how in the movie you see like a version of Lahiri Mahashai sitting there cross-legged. Oh, we're going to get there next. Don't we're going to get there next? Yeah. Okay, let me not spoil it then. And, um, first, <laughs> let's talk about um, Brahmachari Shekhar. Okay. Uh, Brahmachari Shekhar is now Brother Kamalananda as of 24th of September 2019. More trivia. So Brahmachari Shekhar and Brother Kamalananda... Um, uh, sorry, Brother Kamananda now, uh, who was Brahmachari Shekhar, and Brother Vishwananda came to London, didn't they, Mike? Were you there? We, you were there, yeah, I'm sure. I was were. there. They came with Brother Chidananda, is that correct? I think they've come twice. Or have okay. they? I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, they, they, they may have done. But yeah, um, yeah so t right tell before us. Before to... um, so the one time I recall is uh, right before... Right after uh, Brother Chidananda became uh, president of mm. YSS SRF, um, he went to India and he 
did a stopover in London, which was great for us because I remember like uh, the center was like completely packed of people like to get into the center. There was a huge line outside the door. Uh, was amazing. And then and then, yeah, they all came uh, and and uh, gave gave um, satsang and service and everything and were approachable. That was that was pretty great. So I believe this was in 2016. I've actually got a article uh, about this. Um, this was a, a quite a monumentous occasion and it involves the film Awake. So I'll read it out, read it out. Um, it is refreshing to see that the world of politics, media and religion can come together for the greater good under the auspices of Lord and Lady Pulpit, one of the most outstanding documentary features of recent times was screened at the House of Lords. Lord Pulpit expressed his admiration for screening the film in Parliament. It was an honor to host a private screening of Awake in the House of Lords. So for those who don't know, the House of Lords is one of the two chambers of Parliament. Chris, do you want to describe our Parliament quickly? So people no. know the significance. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I am blissfully uh, ignorant to the, the inner workings of Parliament. The House of Lo the House of Lords is uh, is pretty epic. Uh, we went. Uh, you're allowed because we're us. We're commoners. Uh, we're only allowed into the member of Parliament, the, the House of Commons. We're commons, commoners. So we we can only peer through the door of the House of Lords. And House of Lords is a grand, beautiful chamber, whereas the House of Commons is obviously not uh, not as beautiful. But um, the House of Lords, like, it's got a seat that's fit for royalty in, in there, if you can imagine. <clears throat> so I don't, I don't imagine the, the film was screened there. But apparently, um, I spoke to some devotees. They said we had permission for five screenings of the film Awake. And they didn't know where to do the last one. And Brahmachari Jason suggested the House of Lords. And Brother Vishwananda said that they were so pleased that they could screen it there. And apparently a lot of spiritual leaders and other dignitaries were there to... Um, to watch it so pretty special mm. yeah yeah pretty amazing i mean i'm i'm not on board with the whole class system in the uk but <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah it's, it's a great honor i guess and it's it's very nice that they were so open um to um screen it it's also pretty great um what was his name lord uh, lord pulpit lord he's uh gujarat of the gujarati descent isn't he Correct. Yeah. Which is also a sign of how open the British society is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he lives quite near my near me here, actually. Um, so, Yogananda's birth. Let's talk about that. So now we see the narration goes to day after day. The guru initiated one or two devotees into Kriya Yoga, the science of meditation. Early in their married life, my parents became disciples. Lahiri Mahasaya predicted my birth and that through this body, many shall receive the spiritual enlightenment of India. So as this narration is happening, <clears throat> Chris, we see a very beautiful scene of um, a little little room and there's, there's devotees sitting at the feet of Lahiri Mahasaya, who's on a sort of a slightly raised uh, platform sitting in a, in a half lotus. Um, so tell us about what, what are your impressions of that scene? So obviously this is a complete reenactment. We don't have any footage of Lady Marshai over a hundred years ago. Tell us what your feeling is of, of seeing that reenactment. 
Yeah, you know, my my feeling was that it was uh, a very humble reenactment and probably quite apt as to the times and and, and the kind of real life occurrences that there, there was very few people there, and um, uh, yeah, you could see Yogananda being carried in as as a baby by, by his mother. Uh, and it, it's just a very touching scene that you've got a mixture of men and women sitting there in what would have been quite quite a long time ago, right? Um, was it 1893? Is that, is that yeah, um, the date? Correct, yeah. So uh, it just seems like a very cosy, um, small, dedicated group of people. And it just struck, struck a really nice chord with me uh, yeah. when, it, when I saw it. So, uh, uh, and the Lahiri Mahashaya uh, actor, uh, he did a good job at um, kind of tricking the eye initially to think, oh, you know, is that is that Lahiri Mahashaya? Um, but um, what was uh, his name? You found out his name, didn't you? We found his name. Yeah, but it's it's actually just in the, in the titles in the in the credits at the end. So Tan Tanmoy Kormokar uh, is 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 the name. And I I googled I googled the name uh, and could not find him anywhere. So oh man, I'm going to nominate nominate him for an Oscar. I mean, what a Oscar for that role, yeah. Chris, um, Mike, what do you think of that type of portrayal of a, of a quite a important scene in the autobiography of a yogi and perhaps the narrative that we, you know, we have of Yogananda and his life? Yeah, I love that they they actually found this scene so important that they reenacted it because I feel like in Yogananda's life, they didn't react uh, reenact a whole lot of scenes, right? But mm. this one, they felt you have to feel like you are there. You are there in that moment and... It's like Chris said, like the actor looks exactly like Lahirima. I mean, it's a bit from the side, a bit far, yeah. far, far away and stuff, but it could be how it actually was. Pretty, probably pretty close reenactment, I think. Let's hear from Paola de Florio and Lisa Freeman, who speaks second about this. So this is the presenter. Uh, they did an interview of, of, this, of scenes like this. Uh, so I think it's interesting to hear their take on it. So the presenter will ask a question and Paola de Florio will respond. His life. Um, I'm wondering how you dealt with sort of the challenge of representing um, very non-physical themes on the camera. That was tough. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say that, you know, we, it was a challenge. It took a while to come up with the cinematic language. I mean, first and foremost, so much of, of yoga, even the use of recreations in a film is something that some people feel is taboo. And it was, it was hard to imagine that we could actually um, capture with recreations parts or aspects of Yogananda's life that dealt with that yearning, with that otherworldliness. And I think that um, initially we thought of using visual effects to try to create some of these other states, you know, higher states of consciousness, and it really didn't work. I mean, it just got worse and worse. The more we tried, the, just the worse it was. And we started out of necessity. We, we just started filming things like reflections on water or m mirrors. Um, we would look, we would do time lapses. We, uh, we just started to use our intuition, follow our intuition to create aspects of that consciousness that we wanted to portray and layer it and play around with it in editing. And it created for us something magical in ways that we didn't expect. And then we just said, uh, well, let's forget about the digital effects for now. This is, this is sort of the, the language that we want to use. 
No, we wanted the film to be experiential. We wanted to take people on a journey. I mean, on his life journey, but also on their own personal journey, right? And so film is a really visceral medium. So it wasn't so much about being literal, which is where we started to try and represent those cosmic consciousness experiences, right? But it was sort of to create a mood and to kind of create uplift so that by the end of the film, hopefully you're walking out feeling, yes, there is possibility here. I, I, I can tap into infinite possibility. And also I think that everyday life is poetic. And we wanted to capture that. We wanted to find the poetic moment, moments in everyday life. And that's part of the awakening that happens also as a meditator. Right. Wow. Some really good insight. So that was Lisa Freeman um, in the middle there. So the two uh, the directors. What, what, did you, what did you make of that uh, a description of what they tried to go for, Chris? Hey. Oh, go for it. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was quite a in, uh, good insight as to the producing uh, at, a, at a technical level, you know, something is is spiritually meaningful. And what I really like is what she just said there at the end about the poetry. And it was quite a poetic scene. And, and that does it does strike that poetic chord with me that it's very touching, very, um, very meaningful scene and I love how they didn't go with some cinematics and they just shot it as close to what it probably was and actually you know it, it does jog in memory um here listening to her <clears throat> um talk which was when I first read the book you, every time you read a book you visualize you see images in your in your mind's eye and when I saw this in awake this scene it was very similar to what I saw in my mind's eye, a very small, small building of sorts, like a small room and um, a very intimate moment of coming up, you know, with the child, with Yogananda. Uh, so it really, it really did, did a final job for me. Uh, I thought they, they really did. Uh, they honed in, they probably honed into master's intention well. Uh, so, Mike? Yeah, I, I, I agree, actually because I feel like the this moment where they go with Yogan, baby Yogananda to Lahiri Mahashai, this is not the moment to take out the big guns and like show some kind of um, computer graphic or whatever. Um, so I, in general, I feel like this, this is maybe, maybe Awake is not the right film to do this, to do um, those, those renderings, but I mean, we, as devotees, we often do visualizations ourselves, right? Where we visualize light, where we visualize energy and stuff. And to actually see this on a screen, I, would, I wouldn't mind that actually. I would actually like that. Maybe not in Awake because Awake is a very, it's a, it's a movie for people where, uh, where you actually see the, the life of this amazing person and it maybe doesn't have the right atmosphere for it. And I see why they went to do it the way they did. But maybe in the future, I'm, I'm sure many more movies will be made about Yogananda in the future. Maybe some of them will feature that. Mm -hmm. Nice. So we then, we see that, um, we see, obviously, we see the baby of the little baby boy that was mm -hmm. supposed to be Mukundalal Ghosh at the, at, uh, as, as our guru. Um, Paramahansa Yogananda. Some little bit of trivia. So he was born on 8.38 um, p.m. in the same city, um, Gorakhpur. Um, 
the name his name i don't know if you guys know but uh when when babies are born uh, the time of birth is extremely important for astro- astrological reasons mm-hmm. and then we assign um, the first consonant or the, the the letter that we should name the baby after so in in yogananda's case it was mu uh, hence they did mukunda mm-hmm. and mukunda means giver of freedom and uh, that's obviously an apt um, name but in terms of some information about naming um so usually names in india uh, should we we tend to the culture uses any and all means possible to um uh, to support one's liberation and if you're calling calling your son you know ram ram is obviously one of the gods and if you're calling him ram then as you're saying ram om is almost in that name so mm-hmm. if you imagine ram om it's there so it you're, you're kind of already saying a mantra and you even in the naming convention all of our all indian names uh, traditional indian names have a spiritual aspect to it like uh, my name priyank means uh, beloved priya is the sanskrit root and uh, i think uh, sri yukteswar's uh, name was priyanath so similarly um obviously i'm not comparing myself to sri yukteswar but uh, yes um so that that's a little bit i don't think i don't believe that's there in uh, western naming conventions is it or have you heard anything of that um ilk mm. well my, my name is christopher isn't it so you know the history of that is Christ, yeah. Christ, 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 yeah, it's, you know, all sorts of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be in there, but it's definitely, I, I don't think my parents thought about that <laughs> when they named me, definitely not. Yeah, like, Michael is a Hebrew name, I think it's, it's like, Mikhail. pronounced Mikhail, yeah, and it's like, I think it's, El is God, I think it's, he who is like God or something similar, which is also an apt name no <laughs> no but 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 I've, i i do feel like especially more traditionally in in especially the catholic parts of europe um there were all those catholic saints and you, usually the the first names were usually i mean there was this whole logic of the name of your granddad or grandma or whatever and but also they were usually ca- names of catholic saints and they had a meaning of their own cool so apparently he looked well he does we know he looks a lot like his mum we see a picture of his mum and dad and apparently in in culture in in if you look like your mum then you're you're blessed or it's going to be a fortuitous uh, life so it's a blessing to look like your mum and certainly it was in this in this case um his his name is Mejda as well so the second son uh, is called Mejda and um his brother Sananda Ghosh wrote a uh, a biography about his early life called Mejda have you read have you read that mike yes How actually my my dad read it to me when when i was kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very it's very nice i had very very cute stories mostly about mukunda's childhood and how it was perceived by the brother so very very, nice. very interesting book very nice um the other important facts of trivia that happened that year 1893 sri aurobindo who's a saint for who settled in south india returned from the uk after his education in 1893 gandhi accepted mohandas karamchand gandhi accepted his position in south africa as a lawyer on that uh, year 
Um, and Vivekananda gave a talk on the World Parliament of Religions in Chicago in that year. So it was a very important year, <laughs> Chris. Ah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And when, when, I, when I think about, you know, 1893, Yogananda's birth, the 5th of January, um, and, and that scene, I just think about reincarnation and, and spirit, you know, the spirit taking form in the, you know, in, in the human, uh, in the form of a human baby. Uh, and, you know, Yogananda talks about some memories that he's had as, as a child. And, and, and as we talked about in minute one, um, the memories, uh, recollections that he had or the awareness that he had when he was in the womb. And it does make me think of the, the significance just of, of the, the spirit descending into matter and descending into form and the significance of that moment where the Hirli Maheshkaya had a real significant part to play in, in the, in the uh, path, let's say, of bringing Kriya Yoga to the West through Yogananda and, 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 the, and just the mission. It's kind of like a little team coming together, isn't it? Like <laughs> you've got this cool team in, in you know, Yogananda's mother, uh, you know, uh, with Babaji and Lahiri Mahashaya and, and the predictions, I'd say, that kind of came with that, with Yogananda. Uh, and it's just such a, it is just to go back to this moment in, in the film, is such a beautiful moment of of the beginning, uh, you know, certainly for, for, for our guru's life in, in, in the form of a human. And I just wonder, actually, they never talked about it as far as I'm aware, if he remembers anything from his really young childhood, you know, or, when he was a baby or something, but I can imagine him just sitting there fully conscious, like, oh, hello, like, <laughs> like not able to talk, <laughs> like being able to see and understand what's going on, even as a young, <clears throat> young baby. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful year, um, beautiful way to commemorate uh, that moment. Right. Um, that's pretty much it um, for the minute. Does anyone have any more before? Let's discuss feedback. We've, we're privileged to have some feedback. Yeah. Anyone for any more for the minute? No, not not for me. I, d I did um, I did just miss like a, a little Mark Mark Twain quote on Inaris actually that I didn't say. Um, I had it had it written down somewhere actually. I thought it was kind of cool. It was Benares is older than history, older than tradition, older even than legend, uh, and looks twice as old as all of them put together. So I thought that was a really cool, uh, really cool wow. uh, quote. That's pretty awesome, did, isn't it? Did, did he actually go or how did he, how did he come to this quote to be? How did this quote yeah. come to be? So he, I think he traveled, um, he tra traveled there. Um, back Amazing. In I'm, just, I'm just actually searching up. I don't think I'm, I'm quick enough to get up, but he went there and he thought, thought it was amazing. And he wrote that amazing um, Great. Yeah, but so uh, Let's okay. talk about the feedback. So first of all, we've had some excellent feedback now that we've launched on all of our platforms. Um, firstly, we've we've heard that uh, some of the quotes uh, are available on in the book, uh, The Life of Yogananda by Philip Goldberg, which I've now started reading. Uh, it's a very good read. It's a biography of uh, Yogananda by, um, by someone who's not uh, for, you know, a member of SRF. So that's very good. Um, we've had some other... Other feedback, Chris, do you want to quickly um, talk about the mm -hmm. feedback? Yeah, um, 
I, I probably could have segued actually into this uh, in, in my last comments there about minute one and uh, Jürgen Andu's consciousness and his and his, and his spiritual analysis on, on our part of that. Some of the feedback uh, came back very, very spot on about how uh, we, we could maybe go into more deeper explorations of the first minute uh, and in general, uh, look into the you know more spiritual aspects of of the golden thread of of the of the movie. Um, so yeah, warranted. Uh, I, I think it's it's a very fair comment. And we'll we were discussing just before this um, recording how we would actually incorporate that into uh, into the minutes moving forward. So whether we maybe gather more feedback uh, and and reflect on all of them at once uh, or, or or what we'll do. We're open to suggestions, so feel free to fire them in. And um, I, I think what would be good as well is um, maybe you know open, open to open to discussion for, for for everybody here. Is if you see that we're you know going to be covering the minutes uh, as 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 we are, and you want to take minute fifteen or twenty or something that really stands out to you, if you've got a really beautiful insight and you want to share it with us, please do. Um, because we're really keen uh, to, to hear everybody's insights and uh, intuitions and thoughts. So please share. Yep. And if there's sufficient demand, I suppose we're more than happy to do a quick recap of something um, and discuss it in a bit more detail based on some feedback that you give us. So, Mike, I think you had some other feedback as well. You want to just go through that quickly? Yeah, I mean, like Chris said, um, the, there was overwhelmingly positive feedback. Um, one was about um, focusing on highlights in the movie and um, and uh, giving our minutes uh, a narrative uh, based on what is the highlight and focusing on that. And I do see the allure of that. I feel like maybe other thing we that would maybe lead to us talking more about one thing and less about something else. I but I I do like the idea and we will um, try to incorporate that in the future. Um, if you have um, any similar ideas or if you agree or disagree, then you can always let us know in the YouTube comments or in the Facebook comments. We would be happy to hear from you. Excellent. Um, so thank you very much. In the next minute, we shall be discussing Yogananda and his acceptance uh, as his role you know, expands to the West and his... Uh, his responsibility as a guru of this ancient tradition. So we'll be analyzing that in great detail. Does anyone have any more? Mike? Not for me. Thank you for listening. Thank, Thank you, you very much, everyone. I'll see Take you care. next time. Jake. Bye.